freedom, man. That's what it's all about. You've got to groove on freedom, like the good book says. listening to what on earth is happening this show will discuss the topics of human consciousness mind control natural law the occult and all issues that affect the freedom of the people of earth what on earth is happening will endeavor to shine light upon the darkness of our world and to offer empowering solutions to the problems we face as humanity approaches its critical moment of choice. And now, here is your host, Mark Passio. Welcome, one and all. You are listening to What on Earth is Happening right here on the Oracle Broadcasting Radio Network. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website, whatonearthishappening.com. The network's website, of course, oraclebroadcasting.com. Today is November 6th, 2011, and we have a very special show lined up for you here today. Live on the show today, I'm going to be interviewing Larkin Rose of larkinrose.com. And this is going to be one that you're not going to want to miss because Larkin is a great individual who has influenced me so much. And uh, you're going to learn a lot from him here today on what on earth is happening. So that's coming up on the show today. Um, I want to make a couple of quick event announcements in this first short segment. Um, I want to let everyone know that I was uh, here in Philadelphia with Freeman for this weekend. He has come, uh, is passing through the area and came to visit. And he brought me on the Free Zone last night, his show on Oracle Broadcasting. So... Um, that is posted to the news section of the website with the podcast, and you can check that out. I was actually brought on to the free zone last night with, along with my good friend Jay Parker, and we, uh, we got into a discussion about dark occultism and mind control and also some solutions uh, that people can employ uh, regarding human consciousness. So uh, another quick announcement is that uh, due to some personal issues that came up during the week for me, I was unable to appear on the Bob Tuscan show as was originally planned for Wednesday night of this past week. So I rescheduled with Bob and I'm going to be on the Bob Tuscan show tomorrow evening here on Oracle Broadcasting. Uh, his show is 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. So that's coming up tomorrow here on Oracle. Uh, one quick event announcement for an event that's coming up here in Philadelphia, again with uh, this great activist group that I work with uh, locally called Truth, Freedom, Prosperity. You could check out their website at truthfreedomprosperity.org. Uh, I host a free uh, monthly documentary screening night, and it's followed by uh, a lively discussion. So if you're in the area and you want to uh, learn a lot, come on out to TFP's uh, documentary screening night followed by a discussion about the documentary. 
This is going to be happening the last Wednesday of every month. This month, it falls on November 30th. So Wednesday, November 30th, 2011, 7.15 p.m. at Media Bureau. Media Bureau Studios is at 725 North 4th Street here in Philadelphia. That's the Northern Liberties section of the city. And um, the, sh the film we're going to be showing this month is Ungrip. Ungrip. It's a film about personal sovereignty and actually getting off grid and living directly from the land, from the resources given to us by the creator. So it's going to be a great film. It's uh, done by Ben and Dan Stewart, the makers of Esoteric Agenda and Climatica, two other great films. So if you're in the area, come on out. Uh, for the uh, free documentary discussion and uh, screening night by Truth, Freedom, Prosperity. Check out more from that group at truthfreedomprosperity.org. We'll be right back, folks, on the other side, Larkin Rose. Welcome back, everyone. This is What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. Today on the show... We have a very, very special guest, Mr. Larkin Rose of LarkinRose.com. I'm going to read for you his short bio, and then we'll jump right into it with Larkin Rose. Larkin Rose is a self-professed, quote, enemy of the state, end quote, and the author of four books, two of which he wrote while being held as a political prisoner for a year by the gang that calls itself the United States government. He has also written countless articles and done dozens of radio interviews advocating the concepts of self-ownership and a voluntary society. For the sake of full disclosure, Mr. Rose confesses that he is a former member of the cult of statism and for years, along with everyone else he knew, devoutly prayed at the altar of the mythical deity known as government. Having eventually escaped the clutches of that cult, he now devotes much of his time trying to deprogram as many others as he can so that they too may claim, may reclaim ownership of themselves. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to What on Earth is Happening, Mr. Larkin Rose. Larkin, it's a pleasure to have you here today. It's a pleasure to be here, Mark. Great. So I, I figured we could start off by uh, uh, having you uh, tell the audience a little bit about your background and what uh, basically guided you to some of these concepts and topics that you speak about now. Well, I was raised uh, basically sort of libertarian-leaning, conservative, Republican-ish, um, not just my parents, but most of the town I grew up in, and I... I can't really point to one source that, that nudged me in the direction I am now. Um, my wife, Tessa, and I sort of <laughs> corrupted each other along the way until we both ended up here. But for me, it was really a matter of getting rid of inconsistencies in my own position. Like, I love to argue and I love to debate, and, and I like to win because it's no fun debating and losing. And when... I notice problems in my own argument. I have to back up and say, okay, something's wrong there. That, that didn't make sense. Like I'm arguing for constitutional government or limited government or whatever. And I get stuck where my own argument sounds stupid to me. And I back up and say, all right, that didn't, that didn't work. There's something wrong. What do I have to change? Uh, not, not just about the argument, but about what I actually think. 
because if what I think is inconsistent with itself, it's wrong. You can't be inconsistent with yourself and still be right. You can be consistently wrong, but you can't be inconsistently right. Um, so basically, I whittled down more and more about the uh, the religion known as government and statism and found, you know, I, I started from the position, well, it should only have a military, it should only do the police, it should only protect us, and yeah, it has to do taxes for those necessary things. You know, some a position that millions of people still believe and still are in. But when it came down to thinking about the the underlying principles, I would come across. Wait a minute, if I'm if I want this thing to protect us, how does that jive with assuming it has the right to extort people and tell them you have to pay for our quote unquote protection? And so I started saying, well, taxation should be voluntary. And I realized, well, it's voluntary, it's not taxation. And so just bit by bit, the whole illusion of authority and government sort of fell apart. And this was in, you know, this was having debates with people on online and in person and reading things. And a lot of it was just having discussions with my wife, Tessa, like I said. And we sort of, we each corrupted the other one into giving up statism I'm not sure who won the race, but we both sort of talked about things back and forth until we both ended up realizing there can't be legitimate government. There can't be a ruling class that has the right to be there. And unlike most um, anarchists or voluntarists or whatever term is less scary for people, I didn't come to the conclusion that that we could either have government or we could have no government and no government would be better. Um, like on a practical basis, I know a lot of people do. I got there by realizing there can't be government. There can't be legitimate authority. There can't be a right to rule. No political ritual or document or any of the rest of that can make one person have the right to rule somebody else. And if it's impossible, if it can't exist, Arguing about whether we should have it makes as much sense as arguing about whether we should have Christmas with Santa Claus or without Santa Claus. When you realize there isn't one, that question is sort of, well, duh, there isn't one. The only question after that is, do you want to live your life based on a lie, imagining something that isn't there, or do you want people to people's perceptions and behaviors to be based on reality? And really, that's all I advocate is that people act, you know, view the world and act accordingly based on reality, not based on the mythology we were all taught, having to do with authority and government and law and crime and all the terms that basically imply that we need a ruling class and that there can be a ruling class that's legitimate and that if, if we don't all bow to this, this superhuman thing that keeps us civilized, it would be chaos and mayhem. So that's basically, of, I got that's one of people's most uh, overarching fears of the the reason that they give for the necessity for government is that if there wasn't any, this there would be chaos, and the 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 underlying emotion that drives that position is fear. Absolutely, absolutely, and 
I like to point out that 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 fear, which yeah, and I had it for years and years. And I know we can't have none. We have to have some. It actually it, it shows that the belief in government is a blind faith issue. It's not about rational thought and figuring out how to how to make things work. Because just, I mean, the logic of it just on its face is really bizarre. The logic goes like this. Now, people don't say it this way, but this is what they mean. Human beings are so unpredictable and sometimes immoral, sometimes negligent, sometimes nasty, that we have to take some of those nasty, negligent, vicious human beings and give them the power to control the rest of us by violence. As if that's a rational solution, whether we're all nice or all nasty or something in between. But the, the only reason anybody would ever suggest such a thing, and I, I often make a, make a comparison, that if you're getting attacked by a swarm of killer bees, the solution is not to try to create an authoritarian hierarchy among the bees to have some of them tell the other ones not to sting you. However nasty we are, however nice we are, taking some of us and giving them permission to dominate everybody else is a really bad idea. And the only reason that isn't obvious to everybody is people are taught to view government as a superhuman entity. One which we voluntarily choose to abdicate our personal responsibility to. Larkin, hold it right there. This is absolutely great. We'll continue right on the other side of this break. Don't go anywhere, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on the Oracle Broadcasting Network. You know the Constitution like the... We're back, folks. Larkin Rose today on What on Earth is Happening. Let's jump right back into it with Larkin. Larkin was explaining to us that he had arrived at his current position that all statism, the belief in authority, is a cultish belief system because he stripped away all of those veils that... uh, stand between our perception and the truth and he was able to do something that few people are able to do seem to be able to do he was able to set his own ego aside and reevaluate his belief structure and to to be able to say i was wrong and then change your mind is one of the most powerful internal works that anyone can ever perform upon themselves so larkin Go back to uh, what you had been talking about before about the idea of handing over authority to people who are basically, f- you know, fundamentally not perfect in the, the, their own right and don't really have any kind of a perfected morality is a, a flawed idea to begin with. Right, right. The notion that, you know, mankind is so unpredictable and nasty and, and dangerous that we need a government. The trouble is, what's the government made of? Well, some of those dangerous, <laughs> nasty people, in fact, not the best of them, but the worst of them. And most people agree, yeah, politicians are mostly liars and crooks, but they still fall for the notion that for us imperfect human beings, and we are, for us imperfect human beings to, to get along, we have to find some of the most imperfect and give them permission to violently dominate the rest of us. 
as if that's going <laughs> to improve things. And there are some of the lowest consciousness, in consciousness among us. I would say it goes so far as to the fact that they really are psychopathic and they gravitate. They are naturally gra drawn and gravitate to that position because of their psychopathic nature or psychopathic tendencies. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you run an ad in a newspaper saying, help wanted... Um, come dominate your fellow man and tell him what to do and hurt him if he disobeys, who do you think is going to call for the job? It isn't going to be all the nice people. It's going to be the people who are narcissistic and love to dominate others, which is about as evil as you can get. And that's the nature of the job. The, the idea, and for ages I, I fell for the notion that, well, government can be good. We've got to watch out for the corruption and, and bad people getting into power but it can be good. And no, it can't. It can't ever be good because all it does is threaten people with violence. That's all the law is. And they have all the, the flowery rhetoric and, and, and propaganda that we're taught to try to make it look like something else. But everybody knows that when they, uh, you know, when the control freaks issue a law, they're saying you have to do this or you're not allowed to do this. And if you disobey, we hurt you. I mean, everybody knows that's the underlying reality of what happens, but people don't talk about it like that. Because if they did, it would sound... Basically, if they just stated reality bluntly, statism sounds as insane as it is. Saying we need some people to have the right to initiate violence against innocent people. Otherwise, some bad people might initiate violence against innocent people. And this is what has been called the semblance of good, which is something that I wanted you to touch upon. People who think this is the right idea bec only because they fear the scenario that might, might, not definitely will, but in their mind might come about if this artificial control structure were not in place. And thus they think that this is choosing the lesser of evils or choosing what they in their perception believe to be good. Uh, some philosophers have termed this the semblance of good and uh, almost invariably it leads us down a primrose path that leads to nothing but chaos. Can you touch upon that idea? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, see, there's, I, I see good news and bad news here. To me, statism is a superstition that people are programmed into, but their own moral code, at least basically, is usually pretty good. They don't run around murdering people on their own. They don't run around robbing people on their own. But they have been taught to believe that if you do certain pseudo-religious political rituals of elections and, and constitutions and legislation and all these official things in their big grandiose buildings that what comes out the other side isn't bound by human morality. Like, they're allowed to steal and because it's called taxation and it's the law, and people really and truly not only believe that that somehow becomes justified, even though they know if they did it themselves, they'd recognize it as evil immediately. Not only do they think it somehow becomes good when it's done by way of legislation and all these rituals, but then they imagine any victims who resist it as being nasty and bad. So it really, their indoctrination into authoritarianism turns their perception of right and wrong 
completely upside down, completely inside out, so that literally they view good as bad and bad as good. And they will just vehemently cheer as quote-unquote criminals who haven't harmed anybody are crushed and thrown in a cage or shot or some other nasty thing. Because, yeah, even though in their day-to-day lives, they, they pretty much get the basic morality of, you know, don't start a fight, don't be nasty to other people. When it comes to politics, they have totally been tricked into thinking that evil is good and good is evil. Because by way of the political process, they think uh, human morality, there's an exemption. You're allowed to steal if you do it this way. You're allowed to commit mass murder if you call it national defense and you do it this way. You're allowed to boss people around and, and violently intrude into their lives if you do it by way of legislation and democracy and all the, all the fun rituals that go around the, the belief in statism. But the entire, the good news, I say, is that in their individual lives, most people already get all you need to get to coexist peacefully, which is don't steal from people and don't attack people and don't murder people. It's pretty dang simple. You know, there are all these little gray areas that we can work out. But if we get that much, we're doing okay. But it all really comes down to understanding the real difference between right and wrong, knowing what moral behavior really is, knowing what the transgressions against another's natural law rights really are, which is what you basically just stated. Don't kill, don't uh, steal from people, don't you know, uh, t- take their property, don't um, trespass against their, uh, their um, you know, lair. Uh, you know, murder, rape, theft, trespass, these are the four basic natural law transgressions. And if we only really respected the self-ownership and the natural law rights of others, uh, we wouldn't have to worry about creating these ridiculous authoritarian structures based on erroneous beliefs because things would organically fall into place if we just respected that uh, basic concept of self-ownership. Right. And the reason the the reason I refer to the belief in authority as the most dangerous superstition is not only like people look to government to protect us from the imperfections of humanity, what they don't get is the only thing they're adding. The only thing that happens as a result of the state is more of those four bad things, <laughs> because that's all the state ever does. It doesn't come along and make nice, helpful suggestions. It makes commands, and it hurts those who disobey. And so the, the idea that you can make civilization by way of doing things that are exactly opposite to civilization is insane, but it's what we were all taught. It's what I was taught, and I believed it for years and years and years, that we need government, this giant, powerful, violent, control freak mechanism to make us good. And you can't, you can't the command moral behavior. Moral behavior cannot be commanded. It can only actually really be taught by those who have developed it themselves and then accepted by others who want to learn it. We'll pick this up on the other side. Don't go anywhere, folks. You're listening to Lark and Rose right here on What on Earth is Happening. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on Oracle Broadcasting. I'm your host, Mark Passio. 
my website, whatonearthishappening.com. We're talking today with Larkin Rose of LarkinRose.com. That's L-A-R-K-E-N-R-O-S-E.com. And uh, Larkin, I'd like to uh, shift the focus of discussion a bit. We can return to some of the, the philosophy, but of course, we're, that'll be contained in what we talk about. I want to shift focus to some of the forms of media that you have put out there for people to uh, take in that express these ideas. And uh, let's start with some of your uh, videos that you've put out there. Uh, one of my favorites was uh, the video called I'm Allowed to Rob You, which anyone can watch up on YouTube. And uh, I'll also uh, link these with the podcast for today's show when it goes uh, up on the website as a podcast. Um, there's also something out there called You're Not the Boss of Me, which I highly recommend for people to check out. And uh, one of your more recent ones was called The Tiny Dot. So if you want to pick one of those and uh, uh, explain what your intentions were for those or what some of these uh, videos contain, go right ahead. Yeah, the, the, the first little YouTube thing I did was I'm Allowed to Rob You. Um, and I thought I'll just make this short little silly thing. And basically I did the equivalent of what the constitution did, which is pretend to give someone the right to rob other people. It calls it taxation. It says Congress shall have the power to lay and collect taxes, blah, blah, blah. So I basically just did a silly little video of me doing the same thing, but giving myself the right to rob you, the viewer. Um, and it gets started out with just a, a scribbled version, and then it gets more and more complicated, more official looking. And, and just to sort of demonstrate how silly it is to think that any amount of scribbles on paper and rituals and, and declarations can actually make it okay for somebody to rob somebody else. And it, I found it, it was funny because I found that just a simple little video like that got a lot more attention than, you know, when I write some big in-depth philosophical explanation of, <laughs> of something, you know, how many people are going to read that? Um, but just that short little video got uh, 60, uh, 70,000 views by now, um, which is still sort of a drop in the bucket for the population, but that's pretty many people just sending it around because it just makes people go, yeah, that is sort of weird. Like, if it, if I can just take little pieces of the belief in statism and just give a little taste of why it doesn't make sense, um, you know, it doesn't explain everything. It explains almost nothing, in fact. Um, but it just shows one little tidbit of why statism, w which we were all raised in, is literally insane. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't match reality. Uh, the tiny dot was like that, too. It just very simple animation showing the statistical difference between the number of people that claim the right to quote unquote tax everyone in the country on what they earn and the number of people who are handing over their money because this tiny little speck says you have to give us your money and just showing the difference in size, you know, it, it immediately jumps out at you. Why the heck are these people going along with it? And why do they pathetically beg that stupid little dot you can hardly see to let them keep more of their money? And just to show things in these, you know, just, again, little pieces of the puzzle that just make people scratch their heads and go, what? That's weird. Like the tiny dot has over 100,000 views now. 
I um, love the idea in um, "I'm allowed to rob you." That that is it is actually the truth. It's not just an idea that uh, a wrong cannot be transferred to another person and magically become a right. You can't uh, give someone a non-existent right, you know, that you don't have a right to do this to any other living being as an individual. So no amount of people coming together and claiming this right can ever make it moral. It's, it's not a right. It's a wrong. You can't claim that you're allowed to commit a wrong, get a bunch of people to agree with you, sign it into something called legislation, and then magically, uh, uh, automatically have inherently this ability to do something wrong that you wouldn't be able to do as an individual. I think this video makes that so clear in such a very uh, concise way. Uh, that That's what I found so powerful in watching it and what I, why I think more people should watch it to try to understand that particular point. Yeah, and it, because it, it really comes down to just, you know, the things that people instinctively know about right and wrong when it comes to their own life, they just, they don't get that their, their whole belief in government turns it all upside down. Like, they, they would never consider going to their neighbor's house and robbing them at gunpoint to help pay for their school, their kids' education, but they would, wouldn't bat an eye before voting for somebody who's going to do the exact same thing. And yeah, the, the, the video demonstrates, because one of the, one of the versions of me trying to give myself the right to to rob the viewer is, well, I got some of my friends to sign this one, and they all said I have the right to rob you, as if, and anybody watching it immediately sees, well, that's silly. Your friends can't give you the right to rob me. But it's so obvious, it's so simple that it's almost stupid, but then you then you realize, well, wait, then how did the Constitution do it? How does democracy do it? How does government do it? None of it makes any sense. It just shows you how much of a stranglehold this cult, and that's exactly what it is, has on the minds of people and the things that they have gotten them to believe in that have absolutely no fundamental basis in reality or morality. Right, and the, in so many of these instances, the truth is so painfully simple, and the lie is this huge, complex, convoluted, you know, mental gymnastics trying to make the insane sound real like well we, we they represent us and that like the end of the tiny dot the tiny dot try, gives his explanation of why this is okay that there's this tiny little dot robbing all these people and why they're obligated to do it and the mythology we're taught which i memorized and i spouted back and i got good grades it's utterly insane okay there's this group of people they rob us but they're representing us when they rob us and acting on our behalf. And so they somehow have our consent when they rob us. And all these things are blatantly, obviously untrue. But we were all taught to repeat, to memorize and repeat them. Because if you memorize and repeat something blatantly untrue enough times, you start to imagine that it makes sense. And the challenge here is just, just to get people to look at some really obvious, simple truths, like you can't delegate a right you don't have. You know, it's just another way to say what you were just saying. And two people can't delegate a right that neither of them have. And just everybody instinctively knows that. 
in their day-to-day lives. But then you say, okay, well, then how did Congress get any right to do anything that I can't do myself? And then they go into their 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 sort of mental retreat where they, they start to spout the uh, the bizarre, nonsensical excuses that they were taught growing up why it's okay for that group to rob somebody else and why it's not really robbery and why it's really with our consent. Like, yeah, why do they have all the guns in prisons if it's with our consent? But they spout back the, the, the completely nonsensical garbage because, but, but you can see it. You can see that it hits them in the head and they know, yeah, this doesn't make sense. And they, they freak out and go into um, literally psychological denial. They, they don't want to see something that simple that contradicts you know, a fundamental premise of the way they look at the world. And so and many so they, people are willing to go along with this system to uh, sit on a jury in judgment of other people who have actually committed no actual violent wrongdoing against another living being and say that they are willing to agree to have them be put in a cage, taken away from their family. I mean, as a personal little anecdote here, uh, a situation just came up within my family where my cousin's husband uh, was just sent away to prison for uh, an interaction between adults that involved substances. And, um, uh, you know, he took a plea bargain so as to avoid a jury trial, which he thought would have gotten him more time because people, you know, um, uh, would probably find him guilty based on man's law when no other living being was hurt by this voluntary exchange that took place, you know? Yeah, and their their perception, the perception of the jurors and most and most observers, is completely twisted inside out. Because if you said, "Hey, here's my gun, guy over there, he's uh, smoking pot. Go kick his door down, drag him away, and lock him in your basement for ten years," they would say, "What? Are you crazy? I would never do that." Okay, well then, why would you vote for somebody else to do the exact same thing? Why would you sit on a jury and say, "Yep, I approve of putting that guy in a cage for"? having a substance or something exactly larkin we're going to pick this up on the other side of the break ladies and gentlemen you're listening to what on earth is happening my special guest today mr larkin rose we'll be back where we'll talk about some of larkin's uh books that he has written and uh we'll tell you how you world's first and only swiss gold We're back, folks. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio, and today my special guest is Larkin Rose of LarkinRose.com. Before this last break, we were talking about um, the difference between man's law and moral law, how widely different the laws that people put into effect in society through legislation are than actual morality because for there to really be a crime committed for there to really be a natural law transgression committed committed there has to be a harmed individual there has to be a harmed being and so many offenses that people go away to prison for and people are all too ready to put them there for doing just because they believe in the claim of the state 
uh, they have actually harmed no one in doing that. They have not actually committed a transgression against someone else's natural law rights. So um, these are some of the things that Larkin puts forward in some of his videos. So Larkin, you want to pick it up from there? Sure. The, not only do people, you know, they, they'll sit on a jury and say, hey, the law says you're not allowed to have that substance. They, they don't even know what they're saying. They literally don't know what they're saying when they say the law. If you ask them, well, what are you talking about? Where did it come from? Well, government. Okay, what the heck is government? Like, where does, what's the origin of this scribble that you think makes it okay to put someone in a cage for having a substance or doing any other, committing any other victimless quote-unquote crime? And eventually they realize, well, it's stuff politicians make up. But they don't talk like that. They talk as if it's, you know, some holy thing descending from on high, the law. Like, who are you? And, and you can see it in the terminology they use on a daily basis. You know, they brag about being a law-abiding taxpayer, and they say, you think you're above the law? And I say, absolutely I'm above the law. Everybody's above the law. It's almost impossible to be below the law. If by law you mean the politician scribbles, because the politician scribbles legitimize way more violence and theft than the vast majority of things that they declare to be crimes. And so the sad part is when there's a jury that says, yeah, we'll say guilty because he got caught with pot or he got caught you know, driving without a piece of paper that says he's allowed to or whatever, whatever victimless quote-unquote crime – what they don't understand is they're the ones helping the crime. The real crime, you know, when you're talking about natural law, you just put a guy in a cage. That's violence. Exactly. But they have their, their view is so backwards that, and I got a front row seat of this. I got 12 complete state worshiping buffoons to say I should be in a cage for telling them that they were being defrauded well, see, by what, their what own quote really unquote comes- government. What it really comes down to, Larkin, is they're not even saying you're above the law as if, you're, as if they're trying to say to you, you think that you can do immoral things. They're saying, I, as a slave, am, am talking to the other slaves saying, how dare you think that you're not a slave? That's what they're really saying. They're saying, you think you're above slavery, which is the arbitrary dictates of a psychopath telling other people how they should or should not behave if they're not hurting anybody else. So that's what that person is really saying. They, they're, not, they're not openly saying it. Like you say, they dance around it. But what they're really saying to you is... I'm a happy little slave on the plantation, and I'm saying to another slave who doesn't want to be a slave, how dare you not want to be a slave? Absolutely. That's absolutely exactly what it is. Um, one of the things I read um, inside was the autobiography of Frederick Douglass, who was a, the, the open, obvious kind of slave that we all call slavery. And he described how a, a lot of the fellow slaves had that mentality. They believed they were supposed to be slaves, and they viewed a runaway slave as a thief for trying to steal himself from his master, and they would really view them with contempt. Wow. And that's, that's I mean, exactly that, that's about America as, today. That's about as deep into the mindset of slavery as anybody could possibly get. That's uh, amazing. And it's, it was really creepy to read, but it, then it dawned on me, well, of course, like, 
you know, we would like to think of them as, you know, the, the slaves is all thinking this is horrible and bad and wrong. And first chance I get, I'm going to run away. But if they thought that, they would have, <laughs> because, you know, they even with all the, the quote-unquote law enforcers making slavery continue, they still outnumbered. They, they could still outrun them. The problem was they were enslaved inside their own heads just as much or more so than enslaved in body. And if you actually believe that you're supposed to be a slave, and you do if you take pride in being a law-abiding taxpayer, because what that means is I do what the politicians tell me and I give them my money. If you take pride in that, you are taking pride in being the property of politicians. And as long as you have that mentality, you're a slave forever. And you, you won't be able to understand why anybody else wouldn't be that. And you, you can see it. I saw it in my own jury. They couldn't fathom how another human being you know, never mind the legal reasons, would ever not want to pay homage to the master and say, yes, master, here's a bunch of what I earned, and, you know, here's the fruits of my labor, here's a piece of my life. And they literally couldn't imagine how any human being who is good wouldn't bow the way they do. So they said guilty, and I got to be in a cage for a year. Like you said, it's a complete twisting on onto its head of true morality. True morality is actually standing up for your own rights and respecting the boundaries of other people's rights. And what they're saying is you're immoral if you don't want to have your rights transgressed upon by others. Right. And in my case, what was really frustrating, and, and I admit I had a, a hard time not being bitter and angry about it, is... What I did, I didn't get, like, caught doing something. I set out to have the trial. I was there to tell those 12 people, you are being defrauded by your own government. And so I was there telling them, you're being victimized by an actual crime, like with a victim, you. And their response, because they've been so indoctrinated into authoritarianism, was, well, you're bad. Like, you're bad for pointing out to us that somebody's robbing us and for, not, and for trying to not get robbed yourself. I mean, it's, it's just like, again, it, in, in their daily lives, people aren't this insane. It's only when it comes to, to politics and government. Because, like, if I, if I came out and said, oh, somebody, you know, somebody stole my car last week, Nobody would think it would be rational for, the, for me to then go around to other people and say, I hate you. They didn't steal your car. Like, exactly. that's not a rational response. It's, it's but that's like, what it's Americans like, think of, quote it's unquote. Like he's not being beaten on as badly as I'm being beaten on. So I, I need to hate the person who's not being beaten on, not right. the person who's actually doing the oppression. Exactly. Why don't you complain about the guy who stole your car and you com instead of complaining about the guy who didn't get his car stolen? But with statist mentality, that's what it does. They literally, you look at what people think of like tax evaders. Take a real case of tax evasion, which mine wasn't, where somebody, they just think, you know, it's my money, I earned it. They didn't. I'm going to hide this over here and, and sort of lie about that, which is, the exact same thing is how do I, you know, I'm driving through a neighborhood. I know there are carjackers here. How do I outsmart them? Like, there's nothing wrong with that. It's perfectly moral and virtuous. 
but most of the country does the equivalent of how dare you do things to try to make the carjacker not steal your car. And they really think that that is the sin. Tax evasion is the sin of trying to not get robbed. That's so bad that if you try to not get robbed, you should be put in a cage and then robbed. It's the idea that you're not actually allowed to stand up for rights that you know that you inherently have. If you're not willing to abdicate your rights, that somehow makes you a bad or immoral person. Not the fact that standing up for and refusing to abdicate things that you know are inherent rights actually makes you a more virtuous human being. Right, right. But you can see, you know, because the belief in government is a religious belief, you can easily see that in most people's minds, right and wrong is outranked by the will of the politicians. Because what they wouldn't do in their, in their personal lives, they will do in political, you know, in the political realm. That's right. Hold it right there, Lark. And what we're really talking about here at the deepest level is mind control, getting people to accept these erroneous notions and believe in them with in extreme stubbornness. So we'll pick this up on the other side. And I'm going to tell people about a real special treat that we have coming up in the second hour. We'll be right back, folks. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on Oracle Broadcasting. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website, whatonearthishappening.com. This show is live every Sunday from 5 to 7 p.m. East Coast time. That's 4 to 6 p.m. Central time. Today on the show, we're speaking with Larkin Rose of LarkinRose.com, a freedom activist, a author, and we're going to get into his books uh, later in the show because Larkin is a phenomenal writer and particularly a phenomenal uh, writer of allegorical fiction, which I recently learned after reading his book, The Iron Web. We'll get into that later. Uh, this is a short segment, Larkin, so I figured I'd ask you about some of your recent travels and uh, the recent uh, speaking engagements that you've done. Uh, you were recently at Libertopia out in San Diego on the West Coast, and you took a, 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 a kind of a, a tour all the way out uh, to the West Coast and back. Uh, you want to tell the listeners a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, there's a, It was the second ever Libertopia. It happens down in San Diego. Um, and I live just outside Philadelphia, um, so it seemed pretty unlikely to me that it was going to work, but I said I would do it, and and um, with the help of very generous people on my email list um, donating to make it happen, I used it as an excuse to drive my family, my, my wife Tessa and our daughter Alyssa, across the country seeing lots of cool places on the way to San Diego. Um, it actually, the trip ended up being over 10,000 miles, so it was very indirect. Um, but down in, yeah, down in Libertopia was the main thing I, I spoke at, although there were some littler meetings and, and talks along the way. And it was interesting to be at a, at a thing which was almost exclusively anarchist slash voluntarist slash whatever you want to call it. Um, rather than, you know, often you get 
freedom events that are a mixture of people saying we have to get back to the Constitution and some people saying we need a bigger military but a smaller welfare state and some people saying, no, we need none at all. Um, and Libertopia was very consistently self-ownership, voluntary society, um, the state is illegitimate, all that fun stuff. Um, I was there, Stefan Molyneux, Mark Stevens, Bill Bupert, um, whoever I list, I'm going to forget somebody and feel bad about it later. Um, but uh, Butler Schaefer, a bunch of people doing different presentations and talks and just trying to get people to, to grasp the idea that, you know, as much as we were taught that government is necessary and noble and righteous and all that, and without it, there'd be chaos and mayhem. It's, it's a lie. Humanity, the only moral choice is nonviolent coexistence, peaceful coexistence, and that rules out the state entirely. <laughs> it totally rules out government. And it was fun to be in a place with two or three hundred people. I didn't I don't know what the exact count was. Um it's pretty good since it's only the second time it had happened. Um at this nice resort down in, in San Diego and talking about these ideas where it's just, it's weird and fun to be the norm, <laughs> to have the people who don't want a parasitic ruling class for that to be what everyone there believes. That's very encouraging that more people are coming online to a lot of those ideas and opening up their mind to them and uh, kind of uh, propagating that idea and co whole conferences are being based around uh, that uh, philosophy. Right, right. And it's, you know, I remember when I, I thought I was the only one or like one of 10 or something that, that I knew. And now it's in the thousands of people who are saying, yes, morality, we got to do away with the state because it's incompatible. Fantastic. Larkin, stay with us. Everyone, don't go anywhere. You're not going to want to miss the next couple segments. We're going to have a very special treat with another special guest that's going to come on and interact with Larkin right after these words. All right, folks, we're back, and as I promised, we have a very special surprise guest for the next two segments that's going to be joining me and Larkin, and really what I'm going to do is kind of just step back, uh, you know, into the background and let uh, these two gentlemen uh, kind of uh, interplay some ideas and, and bounce some uh, uh, philosophy off of each other, but welcome to What on Earth is Happening, Mr. Freeman Fly, who's been in Philadelphia this weekend, and we've been hanging out. We went to Occupy Philly, and we've been having some great discussions, and Freeman brought me on his show last night. He actually did the show right from the What on Earth is Happening studios, so welcome, Freeman Fly. Great to have you on, and uh, you can uh, bring up what uh, you've been listening in on the show, and you can bring up what uh, your your thoughts are about uh, what Larkin's been saying, and you guys can uh, have at it. Right on. Well, thank you, Mark, and hello, Larkin. Howdy. <laughs> uh, you know, you you make it obvious. You show the the simple questions that that throw everybody off on their answers, and this is something that I've often liked to do. You know, I I ask people, well. You know, what Masonic Lodge was it that the Sons of Liberty came out of to throw the tea in the water at the Boston Tea Party? 
Do you know what the word or where the name America even comes from? Or how about who designed your stars and stripes? And when you start to go down that road and you find yourself looking at people like the professor in the inner lodges of Freemasonry, all of a sudden you're like, what cult am I a part of, right? <laughs> right. But you want to know who gets people to pay their income taxes. It's Donald Duck, right? Yep, yep. I mean, good, old, well, <laughs> good old Donald Duck. And it's, it's Disney on the front lines that came out with their wartime propaganda, got Donald Duck out there offering to give up his money uh, on March 15th. Make sure you have enough in your account because the robbers are coming, right? And they make it glorious. They put out films like uh, How to Create a Nazi, Education of Death. And these things were then put into the mental programming and they admitted that Donald Duck uh, caused more people to pay their income taxes than any propaganda technique they had tried. And in the the, the film, the uh, Disney on the war front, they literally state, boldly and proudly, that the Nazi propagandist Joseph Goebbels adopted Walt Disney's techniques and started making cartoons of his own. <laughs> yep, yep. But I think, I'm pretty sure that, that you can still find Donald Duck on YouTube. And I, I, it was only a few years ago when I first saw that. And it was just, it just amazed me how blatant the propaganda was. Well, it's the same thing if you look at old, you know, war propaganda posters. It's sort of like they, they weren't all that good at it yet, but then people didn't think very much. So they seemed to have a pretty easy job. And now it seems a little more polished. Um, but just the, the blatant, obvious, intentional mind control involved is so, you know, now, basically, when you get deprogrammed, it looks so transparent. You sort of think, how would anybody ever fall for that? But before you get out of the programming, it seems to make perfect sense, and it's so persuasive, and it's so, yeah, of course. I'm proud to pay my share for the troops who were over there, yada, yada, yada. And, and Donald Duck says so, so it must be right. To interject just a moment, one of the films that you can check out that I know is definitely out there on YouTube or Google Video is called Spirit of 43. If people want to check that out, you can see the entire uh, propaganda of the income tax coming on strong uh, and uh, how they put it out there in that, uh, in that little animated movie uh, featuring Donald Duck. It, it's, uh, it's a good one to check out, Spirit of 43. Maybe I'll post a link with the uh, podcast as well. Yeah, yeah. And there's... Uh, there was actually a few years ago some some high level IRS bureaucrat released a, a letter and a memo that said, you know, ba I forget the exact wording, but it was basically just scaring people doesn't nearly get as much compliance as convincing people that they are obligated to hand over their money, and that's just that's it in a nutshell. That if if tomorrow I said I'm going to go try to rob a hundred million people by threatening them. It would never work on a million years. But if you can come out and convince the people that they have a moral obligation, basically to surrender their freedom to you and make them feel good about it when they do, then, you know, they're, you got a nice collection of slaves for the rest of their lives. 
But do you think it was Beyonce's artistic expression that drove her to bring riot squads up on the stage with her that could barely dance to her music and all of that gear? <laughs> uh, thankfully, I didn't see that. I, I think I oh, heard it included about a full blood ritual from Lady Gaga while Pink was raised up into the air in full initiate garb from the Freemasonic Lodge. And this is our video music awards, right? <laughs> right. That's that's quote unquote entertainment. Yeah, and it's so, it's so creepy, and sometimes it's so creepy and weird how obvious it gets, like how obviously weird and, uh, you know, as deep as you want to get, as demonic or anything else, and people just sort of, oh well, like, how obvious does it have to be before people start going, wait, this is a little bit weird. <laughs> well, let me throw in an anecdote then. I was at a John Harris talk in London. I'd been brought there to meet John, and, uh, you know, I'm Freeman, right? So, mm -hmm. uh, prior to the Freeman on the Land movement, by the way, I, I'm not a sponsor of that. I think that's a false paradigm that you're trying to engage with, so why engage with it? So, uh, you know, Freeman, I've been that long before the Freeman on the Land existed, just to right. make that clear. Uh, but I was at this John Harris talk, and this is just an anecdote to show the mentality that keeps this thing in operation. I had taken numerous trains and buses and whatnot to get downtown to get to where I was at, and by that time I was starving. So I had my friends bring me some uh, Asian food from down the street, and along with it came some uh, oyster crisps, right? <laughs> so okay. I'm sitting in the back of John Harris, all the way against the wall, just trying to quietly <laughs> munch on these crisps. Well. <laughs> Lo and behold, at this sovereignty talk where John Harris is up there telling you about the sovereignty of your own being, a man stands up in the audience and demands of the authority, which at this point was John Harris being on stage, to tell me to please sit down with my crisps and quit disturbing the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that, yeah, that, that, that mindset that there's, there's somebody in charge and, and have them, it, it's just, it's everywhere and people don't, you know it's one of those things that people believe it, but they don't recognize it as a belief because it's just everywhere. It's sort of like air. You don't believe in air. It's just there. And the, the, the viewing the world inside the, you know, through authoritarian colored glasses is just everywhere. You know, school, it's obviously there, you know, most parenting, it's obviously there. Government's obviously it's, it's what people expect. It's what, you know, the, the quote-unquote education system trains them to expect. And so they, you know, when they get out of school, they think, well, now I'm just in a bigger school. Who do I cry to to get to what I want? You know, who's, who's the big guy I ask to hit the kid I don't like? <laughs> and it just it goes on, and they, they never even recognize that there is that paradigm in their head. They just think that's how things are. It's the idea that the sins of the father are visited upon the children, are visited on the sons. The idea that we propagate our erroneous belief systems to our children, and that's how it keeps going on down the line. We'll be right back after these messages, folks, where we'll have more interaction between Freeman Fly and Larkin Rose. Don't go anywhere. We're back, everyone. This is What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Pasco. 
Today on the show, we're talking with Mark and Rose. We have a special in-studio guest, Freeman. Before we get back to them, I want to give the call-in number because in the uh, last half hour of the show, we will be taking calls. There are a couple of callers already in queue to speak with uh, Lark and Rose, but um, be patient. We will get to your call. The call-in number for the show is 866-841-1065. Once again, 866-841-1065. Um, you uh, Give a call in, and uh, please be patient. Uh, again, there's a couple of callers in queue. We'll try to get to all your calls in the last half hour of the show. So let's go back to Larkin and Freeman, and uh, I want to kind of uh, steer you guys in a particular direction here. Uh, let's uh, get your both of your take on the Occupy movement. That should be very interesting. So who wants to start? You can go first. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yes, sir. Go ahead. Yeah, sure. I'll jump in on that one. Uh, well, first of all, you know, we see victim mentality. We see the programming that you are the lesser and they are the greater. I call this the Hannah Montana uh, effect, where you are the secret star or you have a split personality or there is one that's above you and one that's lesser. There's, you know, the, the Hannah Montana and then the lowly Miley Cyrus. So, uh, once again, Disney programming always getting in these divisions into the mindset. So, here are these people out there suffering in the cold and they're tense without a single bit of media attention, really, to what they're doing. And, and most of them, you know, have different explanations as to what they're doing. Me, personally, you know, I see that they are scheduling a program to chaos and that this is exactly the reaction that they wanted out of people, that they engineered the society through the Hollywood productions of dark heroes, bringing about this violent justice. And so now they've given them an oppressor and they've given them an opposer and now they're ready to stand up against it with sword and shield, just as it was in the movies. And... So I, I believe that this occupation is exactly what is desired of the programmers of civilization so that they can, of course, further their draconian tactics. I, I would totally agree that that's, that's the intention of some people. I sort of think that the people involved, a lot of them, they sort of see something wrong. I think they're totally misguided in thinking that going and petitioning the powers that be is ever the solution to anything because they yeah they're 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 giving them power by pretending that that you know we're going to demand this and demand that and what you mean is you're going to pitifully beg for something from the master and he can decide whether to do it or not um but to try to be a little bit optimistic i do think there are are traces of of um actual coherent thought in various pieces of the Occupy movement um, mixed in with sort of just a general anger that something's wrong, we don't know what, so we're just sort of complaining about it. And complaining about it to the ruling class, which, you know, just confirms that it's up to the ruling class that, you know, what's going to happen. So I think it's, you know, it's sort of a, like the Tea Party. It's a big mixture of a bunch of different people who sort of get lumped together under a term. And they don't even, they, most of them don't even know what they think. They don't know which, what each other think. But I do think there may be ingredients in there, however orchestrated the, the, some of the events might be, that does spell some serious trouble for the control freaks, um, 
Although I think usually that isn't so much it doesn't so much come out in the the official demonstration things, but the fact that they say you know we we have no leader and we intentionally have no leader um, is sort of a good sign, even though it does look orchestrated at times. Well, how so do you I'm trying feel? to imagine something positive in there. How do you feel about the non-compliance movement or the idea that people just you know unplug from the entire system altogether? I think I think that's good. I think the main thing is that is people's perception. If they stop imagining um, the control freaks to be legitimate, like I, I have a l- tiny little complaint with sort of the Gandhi method. If we're going to come up to you in authority and we're going to disobey and you're going to beat us up or whatever, because even that sort of acknowledges the the rulers and the control freaks. Um, I prefer people non-comply quietly and out of the way when possible, because if tomorrow people just didn't play the IRS's game or didn't play the Fed's game, didn't use their bogus currency, it falls apart. You don't have to like go out and make a statement. Um, I'm all for disobeying the control freaks when you can get away with it, like when it's when the benefits outweigh the costs. But I think so much of it has to do with mentality that even a lot of people who protest and do sit-ins and do non-compliance, still their goal is to get permission of their masters to be free. And as long as that's somebody's goal, they're kind of doomed <laughs> because they're, they're not even free inside their own heads yet. I totally agree. I think it's all really about taking responsibility first and foremost and uh, taking responsibility to learn what the causal factors of any given problem are so you can treat the problem from the level of causality as opposed to uh, keep attempting to put bandages on the uh, the already created effects which never really works and never solves anything and only creates more of the the same uh, dynamic right and it's sort of like a bunch of, you know, kindergartners whining to the teacher that we don't like this, you have to make something change. Right. Well, that's still, it keeps the structure the same. It keeps the authoritarian paradigm the same. When I was out at Occupy yesterday uh, to uh, engage some people in some philosophical discussions, a gentleman, a very nice gentleman came up to me uh, with a petition to uh, try to stop fracking. Uh, if anybody isn't familiar, this is basically drilling down into the earth and cracking the substrate of the uh, the crust of the earth to release natural gases so that it could, it could be harnessed uh, for energy usage. But what it does is it, it uses different uh, types of uh, chemicals and that gets into the water supply and it really creates a very toxic situation. Uh, you could uh, look at the movie Gasland, the documentary Gasland, to learn more about this. Uh, it's it's absolutely horrible and I think it's completely immoral because it damages the living earth on which we depend for life and it uh, poisons people's environments and water supplies. So of course this is an immoral thing but Will I sign a petition to ask government to make this illegal? I'm not interested in government making anything legal or illegal. I'm interested in reaching people at a moral level in their own mind, like what Larkin is saying. We have to get down to people's fundamental belief systems and have them change what they think in their own mind, in their own heart. And from there, that's where change is going to happen. So what I told this 
gentleman who is well-intentioned is what we really need to be doing is having much, much, much more in the way of discussions regarding the morality of this type of behavior just to, just for uh, the extraction of resources and money. Even if it is to meet energy needs, it's not moral. And that's the problem is the people aren't truly raised in a sense of of moral sensibilities to know that this is, is an activity they should be engaged in or have any part of because it's ultimately immoral. And I told them that's where I want to fight this war at, at that level, not at the level of begging Big Daddy to pass legislation to make something illegal. That's just more of the same problem. It's a further abdication of one's own personal responsibility to create change within oneself and to influence that change in others. Yeah, and to... to you know, to play that, to play the game is basically people acting as if reality isn't their responsibility. That's like, right. it's crying to somebody else to fix this. Like, I, and yeah, I it, couldn't agree more. I think that's exactly what it is. And that, that goes down to a problem, an imbalance that needs to be addressed in these individual psyches somewhere. Well, that's a good place to, to break it. Freeman, thanks so much for joining us for these two segments. Thank Always you, a pleasure to, to hear from you. And um, when we come back on the other side of this break, your call's coming up with Larkin Rose. Don't go anywhere, folks. This is What on Earth is Happening. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. November 6th, 2011. Special guest today is Larkin Rose. Mark, what do you think? You want to go to the phones right now and take some calls? Sure. Great. Okay, here we go. Kevin from Philadelphia, you're live on What on Earth is Happening. Welcome. Kevin from Philadelphia, area code 267. You're live on What on Earth is Happening. Can you hear me? Hey, guys. Can you hear me okay? Hey, there you go, Kevin. How are you? Yep. Um, I just wanted to say how much I, I, I'm honored to actually be on a, a call to actually even be able to speak with you, Lark, and thank you very much for, for having me on, uh, Mark. Sure. It's um, You guys are like have been very inspiring to me and uh, my wife and I had a really great conversation about like uh, a lot of really deep stuff after just listening to like the tiny dot and, and um, the, uh, uh, the one about the constitution as well. So uh, the, I'm allowed to rob you. I, I, I thought that was, they, they were just brilliant. So thank you very much for, for putting those out there um, in the same vein that you guys are speaking about all of this, um, supposed morality of uh, government, and, and I agree with you completely. I, I also would like to challenge you both, uh, like Mark's actually done this with me in a lot of ways as well, because he mentioned this at the um, end of Fed rally uh, last year. But when it comes to money being this same sort of belief system and this same sort of kind of forced social contract that we're all um, forced to engage in. I, I, I'm kind of curious as to what your thoughts are on that and when it comes to the idea of, say, abolishing money altogether 
because we no longer need it, because we actually have the technical know-how as a species to be able to create everything that we need to be able to survive, such as, say, hydroponic farms and such, and like vertical farming inside of cities so that people can be just simply fed. And this way we don't have to concern ourselves with the ideas of needing money anymore at all. Okay, it's Larkin. the same type of belief system I want to ask you about. Larkin, why don't you uh, talk about your take on the idea that money is simply a construct that exists in the mind, and uh, that also can be done away with just like government? Well, here's, here's the one problem I have with that. Um, it sounds like you might be talking about the, the Venus Project, which I think actually misses a fundamental aspect of human nature. Um, first of all, fiat currency, the made-up government money that just goes poof out of thin air, um, I think is, is bogus. The concept of money I don't think is. Um, and if you take it down to the, the simplest level, if, I, you know, if we're bartering and I grow something and, and somebody else um, grows something and we want to trade and we might say, well, we both, we both recognize that silver, for example, has value. Everybody seems to think it has value, so we're going to trade in that. There's nothing immoral about that. I actually think as we get richer, like if we have a free society and we get to a point where we're so dang rich that we almost don't care, like we, each of us has so much to spare, I think it can get to a point where it basically, we almost don't bother with money, but I think the only way to get to that point is with an unflinching um, loyalty to the concept of private property, which seems like a little bit of a contradiction, but basically the, like the utopia that I think, you know, Marx and socialists describe the best way to get the closest to that as you possibly can is have a completely strict concept of private property and then get to the point where we're all so rich where we don't really care. <laughs> we say, yeah, you can have this and we can have this and we can, you know, it, it ceases to matter nearly as much as it does now. But I think whenever, you know, if there ever isn't a measure of, of sort of production and trade, it just sort of, it turns into confusing socialism where people just sort of, and if you get so dang rich that there's more stuff than everybody in the world wants combined, then that might actually happen. Um, until then, I think we can get to a point where we care hardly anything about money, but while we still, uh, you know, we still understand that self-ownership, the extension of self-ownership is ownership of what you produce. And that, you know, that still requires the concept of property and, and trade and, and mediums of trade. So I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't see money as the root of all evil. I'm sure a good vehicle. Well, to I don't, get I think there, you, but, it, is it, it, but it, Without having, like, if you, is it kind of like everyone is forced into using money if everyone else is also doing it? It's the same sort of thing like government. Well, am I wrong here? That you don't, right. It doesn't, money in general doesn't have to be that way. It can just be 
we use this as a medium of exchange because bartering doesn't always work. Yeah, right now you're forced into it. You can't not. You have to accept it, and it's fiat garbage, which sort of, you know, it gets called money, and then it sort of, um, it, it, it there's a guilt by association thing between things that are perfectly moral and not for, forced and, and voluntary of if we decide to trade with silver or whatever else we decide to. So I just think there's a distinction there that, that, the, that And the matters. distinction that you're making is whether the actual uh, uh, exchange is voluntary or is whether it is forced by some entity that is saying this is the only actual legal mechanism for exchange. Right, because, that, yeah, that's always bogus. If somebody say you have to trade in this, um, no, we don't. We can trade in anything we want or nothing at all. So I think I think that gives you Larkin's take there. I mean, you, people who have listened to my show know that I do think money can be done away with, but only by reaching a higher form of consciousness than we currently are uh, uh, taking ownership of uh, at this stage of our evolutionary development here on the Earth. So, Kevin, I'd like to thank you for the call. Let's take another call, Larkin, okay? Here yep. we go. Area code 609, I believe that's in New Jersey. You're live on What on Earth is Happening. What do you have for us? Hey, what's going on? Um, I, uh, myself, 34 years old, I feel like I've grown up as an uh, anarchist and not by my parents, um, not by their um, impression, their mind control, just like everyone else. Um, but I seem to have always been the type of person who realized what was going on and only in my adult life really realized you know what I uh, how I grew up and everything but uh, I guess what I'm calling for is to get Larkin's um, perspective knowing that he's a father of a daughter myself being the father of a four-year-old um, his perspective on the approach we should have with our children and uh, you know, should we be easy on them? Should we let them know how evil the world really is from the door? I mean, I have my own plan and my own system that I've been uh, going through trying to keep my children safe. I'd like to hear his perspective on uh, what, what he thinks the approach we should have with our children. Great question. Yeah, I think uh, my main answer would actually be a negative, which is don't view your children as your property. Um, which I doubt you do anyway. <laughs> um, but the entire sort of the thing of you know how long do you, do you shelter them and and how how soon do you let them see the nasty things in the world and how soon do you sort of let them out on a long enough leash that they're capable of doing things that harm themselves and so many of those things there's sort of there's an authoritarian version and a non-authoritarian version and i i use the example you know if i had if i if i had a relative or something who was so severely retarded that they they didn't know what was going on they'd walk out into the street i would stop them i wouldn't feel obliged to to reason with them if that didn't work i would physically stop them from walking into the street and when you have kids that's my view is there are things you have to do because they don't have the information, they don't have the understanding to run their own lives, but it's not because I'm the parent and I'm authority and, and you're the, the kid and you're property. Um, it's just because they're not quite ready. You know, if you gave them the reins, they'd crash <laughs> because they don't know enough yet. 
Um, so I think the biggest thing is just that perception. If the person, if the parent thinks he's in charge and has the right to rule, he's already in trouble, and he's going to pass on that mythology to his children. If he doesn't, and I won't pretend, you know, for a second that I know all what to do or that I've done everything right or or any of that. But if he treats the children like little people <laughs> instead of like property, instead of like pets, instead of like subjects, they're just little people. They don't know very much. They can't do very much until they get older. But if you just view the relationship that way, I think most of the problems of society would go away because the notion of blind obedience wouldn't get passed down. And I <laughs> I joke that we have one rule you in our house. Constitution. Welcome back, folks. This is the last segment for this edition of What on Earth is Happening with my special guest, Larkin Rose. Larkin, let's take one more quick call, and then after that, I want you to tell people about your books and uh, how they can get a hold of them, and then the sure. floor will be yours to take us out. So here we go. Area code 519. You're live on What on Earth is Happening with Larkin Rose. What do you have for us? Greetings, greetings. Am I coming through okay? Yes, you are. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I just uh, actually just had a quick question. I won't take up much time. Um, just wondering, like, could it be that the, you know, the real sort of lowest common denominator is that we're all claiming ownership uh, of the name that we've been told is us, like from the day we were born, like the legal fiction is what I guess I'm getting at. And like, and maybe ownership itself is the problem. Like maybe we should all just learn to use things in sort of a, like a usufructory capacity and stop I mean, really, none of us are taking things with us anyway when we go, so could it be that ownership is sort of a bit of the problem? Well, uh, to me, the, the, I mean, the term ownership just means basically who gets to decide what's done with that thing right now. <laughs> you know, it's sort of a, a shorthand for that. And, like, the, the problem with, for example, communism, the notion that everybody owns everything, is if two people both want to use the same chair or eat the same sandwich or whatever, instantly there's a conflict. And if there is, if there is no way to resolve it other than, well, let's duke it out or, or whatever, it doesn't work well. Um, and so ownership to me is just sort of a way of, of you know, first, uh, and saying you own yourself, I admit, is a little bit schizophrenic. It's, it's, it's really more a matter of I'm I'm a sentient being. I can't be, you know, I make my choices. <laughs> Basically, I make my choices rules out authority. Um, but what I, I do what I'm getting is, at is like practicality. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. What was that? Oh, just like the practicality of all this. Because, like, say I, you know, we get into trouble interfacing with, uh, you know, all these supposed authority figures, and we get dragged into. Uh, their, you know, de facto courts by men with guns, uh, they're going to ask for a name. The first thing they call is a name, and the first thing we're trained to do is say, yeah, that's me. Well, I mean, factually speaking, I don't have any evidence that I, it's possible for me to be a name. So yeah, I guess that's okay. what I was getting at. As a lowest okay, common yeah, denominator, I, 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 uh, 
I uh, I think that's uh, there's some validity to that. I don't I don't think I've ever met a law enforcer who would have the foggiest idea what you were talking about <laughs> if you said that. Um, so I think sort of on a practical level, although sometimes it, they're, they the control freaks do sort of seem to have some trouble being as big a pain in the neck to people who won't even tell them their names. Um, but on other occasions, they seem to lock them up until they you know, say what your name is, like put a label to yourself. Um, so I'm not sure on a practical level that does much of anything. And mostly I, I think, you know, the people who view themselves as agents of the beast of authority, they have no idea about these things. <laughs> I think they just have no way to even process the concepts. All they know is when they tell you to do something, if you don't bow, there's something wrong with you. It almost seems as if not only have they abdicated their responsibility to think, but in many cases they may have never had that capability. That's how ignorant these people seem at times, yeah, as, as yeah. harsh as that may be to say. Yeah, yeah. So, well, yeah, and they, I mean, they talk that way. They say, you know, they say things like, well, I don't make the law, I just enforce it, which means I'm not responsible for what I'm doing. Well, right. it's like the biggest lie in the world. Of course, they're responsible for what you're doing. That's all. But this they don't all, want that responsibility. That's right, and that's all this is ultimately about: uh, responsibility. That's what we need to have in order to have any modicum of freedom at all. If there is such a thing as a price for freedom, that's it: personal responsibility. Yep. And the abdication of responsibility is what's going to ultimately lead us into deeper chains and deeper forms of tyranny. So, uh, Larkin, we have about five minutes left on the show. I'd like to get into your writing because you're a phenomenal author. And uh, what I am so impressed about is your, your allegorical fiction writing. You've written a brilliant allegory. I want you to tell people about all your books. But particularly the one I have been uh, very impressed by uh, was The Iron Web, which was an allegorical fiction about the concepts of self-ownership and true freedom. And uh, when I read it, I just experienced it as such a fast page turner. And I'm not, you know, contrary to what people may think, the fastest of readers. I power through books through an act of will, but I would like to even increase my speed at which I read. But I, I devoured this thing in like two days. And I just thought it was uh, one of the easiest reads that I've ever read because your writing style is so clear and concise and coherent. And uh, it actually almost took me aback that you were that great of a uh, an allegorical fiction writer. Well, thanks. What I wanted to do, I mean, there's a zillion examples of how philosophical ideas can be delivered by way of quote-unquote entertainment. Usually those ideas are bow and do as you're told. Um, but my goal was basically to write a story which in and of itself people found interesting, and apparently lots of people do because um, it, it got a bunch of, of good reviews, while at the same time sneaking in substance there to make people think. Um, I basically did the trick of it It follows three characters that almost you know normal people can relate to, because these characters don't believe, they don't start out believing what like you and I believe, Mark, which is obviously outside of the mainstream, and it basically follows them through a story where they're sort of stuck having to reconsider the way they view the world. And, and uh, yeah, I've been, I've been happy with how many people said they, they like the story. And I think um, there have actually been a number of people who they wouldn't read other stuff I wrote. They don't care about the philosophy thing, and they sort of think they already know it or they, they're not interested, but will read a story because it's, you know, it's 
entertainment, but then they accidentally start thinking about things along the way, and then they say, well, what about this? And so I think it's uh, it seems to be working as a, a way to sneak ideas into people. Right, to spur um, them into having discussions about the philosophical aspects of it, absolutely. Right, right. So tell them about your other books, the nonfiction ones. Um, yeah, the first one I wrote was actually, it's, it's called uh, How to Be a Successful Tyrant, which is just what it sounds like. It's, it's telling the, a, a wannabe tyrant how to do it successfully. Of course, it's not because I want more of them. It's because I want their victims to get how they do what they do so that their <laughs> potential victims stop falling for all the tricks they've been using for 10,000 years or whatever it's been. You, you could kind of look at it as like a field manual for the psychopath in training. Right, right. It's actually the, the the subtitle is the Megalomaniac Manifesto, so it's right. it's exactly that, and it's sort of flippant. And there's some, you know, it's 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 meant to be sort of light, easy, funny reading. Um, but it, it if I'm not has, mistaken, there's also a video of you doing a talk uh, that's called the same thing: how to become a successful tyrant out there. Uh, maybe I'll link to that as well. I, I know I came across that at one point on the web. Yeah, yeah. I, I forgot somebody had, had videotaped that and posted it. Um, but yeah, that's sort of a, a very short version of, of the same general idea. Okay. Um, and then the most, the most recent book, uh, the most important thing I've ever written um, is my, the book, The Most Dangerous Superstition, um, which I actually started putting together in 1996, but I intentionally dragged my feet to make sure I, I thought I could do as good a job as I could um, instead of jumping the gun. But that's it's not very long. It's only like 200 pages. It's a little book. Um, but it really digs to the heart of what I think is the biggest threat to humanity by a huge margin. And it's nothing but just a stupid idea we've been taught to memorize and believe that doesn't make any sense. Um, and so many people look at the world and think, well, we're too greedy and we're too power happy and we're too sort of pack mentality and we're too this and too that. And while there are definite shortcomings, I think this one superstition, you fix this, if people just got that this little thing is a lie, 90-some percent of injustice and suffering in the world would just be gone. Larkin, how can people get a hold of your books? Uh, let them know your website, and then you can take us out with whatever final closing comments you have. Sure. You can get all these at LarkinRose.com, a bunch of free articles and the books and all that, L-A-R-K-E-N-R-O-S-E.com. Um, what I would tell people, especially people into freedom and in, into wanting society to be what it should be, it's easy to look for an outside enemy and point at Washington or point at this, that, or the other group or party or whatever and say, they're the bad guys, they're the problem. If only something changes about them, the world will get better. And I would challenge people to consider the possibility that your own belief may be a contributing factor to what you see wrong in the world. Larkin, a brilliant way to take us out. Thanks so much for being here. It was a pleasure, and you're welcome back anytime. Ladies and gentlemen, Larkin Rose, that's all the time we have for this edition. We'll see you next Sunday on What on Earth is Happening. Good night, Oracle everyone. Broadcasting Radio.